I'm going to warn you now, I have a big word about a little guy. So, <laughs> if you get done before I do, I will understand, <laughs> okay? I understand that people have appointments and that kind of thing, and I know this will take me a while. <laughs> so, if you have to leave, I understand. Good morning. Is God good or what? <laughs> Amen. Our Father is a good, good Father. This morning, we are going to look at another one of the compound names. And this morning, we're going to look at Yahweh Shalom, the Lord is Peace. We're going to look at where this name appears in the Old Testament, and we're going to look at the story surrounding it. It only appears once, Yahweh Shalom, and it's in the book of Judges in chapter 6. But before we get to that, I want to give you some background information. A lot of times, we, we take the stories out of their context, and we don't get the whole big picture. And I want you to have the whole big picture. First of all, the book of Judges is not written in chronological order. <laughs> now, that makes a difference. <laughs> Think about that. It makes a difference if all the stories are in one timeline or if they're put together in a different format. There are lots of that. There's a lot of that in Scripture. Our Scripture is not put together in one chronological timeline. So that kind of affects the way we see things sometimes. Chapters 17 through 21 should actually be inserted between chapters 2 and 3. There was a whole bunch of bad stuff at the end of Judges that actually happened at the beginning of Judges. <laughs> the author of Judges was probably the prophet Samuel. And Samuel wrote it. And this is what a lot of commentators think. That he wanted to emphasize the sin cycle. You see, Israel had a problem of continually falling away from God. <laughs> and it was a cycle. They would start out following the terms of their covenant. They would start out good. They would start out living in the blessing. And it wouldn't be too long before they would start to fall away, follow after other gods. Now, they're still in covenant. The terms of their covenant are obey, be blessed. Disobey, be cursed. So he was always trying to convince them staying inside the covenant terms was a good idea. <laughs> Everything was provided there. Don't go out after other gods. You'll only get what they can give you, which was death, destruction, and corruption. So they did this. They would get miserable enough. They would cry out. They took forever to cry out. <laughs> they would cry out for help, and God would raise up a deliverer. And then God would rescue them, and then they would have much more peace and blessing than they ever had cursing. One of the things I really saw this week when I was studying the book of Judges is the amazing faithfulness of God to those who are constantly unfaithful. <laughs> you see, they were always in covenant. It's just what terms of the covenant were they living under? He was always their God. He never left them. But when the covenant, that was his covenant, that's what they wanted. They wanted a covenant of works instead of a covenant of grace. They wanted a covenant of rules instead of a covenant of relationship. So God met them on their terms. God had to fulfill the terms of the covenant. He was faithful. <laughs> he was faithful. But what I love is that he so rescues them and gives them abundantly above all that they could have ever asked or thought, even after they have been horribly unfaithful. Their unfaithfulness never nullified his faithfulness, his goodness. Some commentators think that 
Samuel wanted to emphasize, and he probably did to those who were going to read it at that time, that sin is a bad idea. (laughs) But us in the New Covenant, we look back and we can say, oh, but the faithfulness of God. Oh, how much more, how much more is he faithful to me? That's what I think we're supposed to see in the book of Judges. The book of Judges takes place after the book of Joshua. How about that? (laughs) Right in order there. This is important because something happened at the end of Joshua that set up this problem that they were going to have in the book of Judges. There was nobody in charge. Moses had died, and Joshua was the successor. Joshua died, and they were sent into the promised land. Twelve tribes were supposed to go in and take the promised inheritance. So they were all now self-governing. Nobody's in charge. (laughs) They were supposed to govern themselves under the terms of their covenant with God. God was supposed to be their governor. Not a man, but God. They kind of didn't get it. (laughs) Now, the main thing they were told when they were going to go into the promised land is you have to displace the inhabitants. This is my land, and I'm giving it to you. This is your inheritance. This is yours. This is yours. It's yours for the taking. Sound familiar? (laughs) This is yours. I have given it to you apprehend it. And so the only thing they had to do was push back the enemy that was there because he told them, if you don't push them back, you're going to be seduced by their false gods. False gods are not imaginary. I think sometimes when we say the term false gods, we're thinking it's just a totem pole. It's just a statue. That's not what was going on. There are demonic entities and powers that they could participate in that were real. Even Cindy and Jeff were talking about how in Haiti, voodoo is very real. Now, they live in a different realm. They live in a different kingdom. So all of the curses and voodoo and all of that doesn't touch them, okay? But they have seen voodoo priests put curses on people who have stolen things, (laughs) and those people end up dead in three weeks. It isn't that it isn't real. Okay, It's just that as believers in the new covenant, in the one true and living God, we live in a different kingdom. Okay, A curse causeless will not alight. We're in a different realm. Okay, We have all power and authority through Christ Jesus. That enemy has already been defeated. God has already taken away his power. We have the right to go around stomping on his head. Okay, So ours is different than theirs, but that was a reality for them. Okay, that's why it was a snare. That's why new age is often a snare to young people who have received Jesus, but they've never seen the glory. They've never seen the power. They've never seen the supernatural because they look over there at new age and they go, wait, there's power there. (laughs) Of course, they don't know what they're playing with (laughs) because there's nothing good in the darkness. There's only death and destruction. What we have is glory and more glory and more honor for the Lord Jesus Christ. So these tribes were supposed to go in and take their land, and they were supposed to break down all the altars. Now the first couple of tribes did that. 
they actually did what God told them to do. <laughs> they pushed back the enemy. They defeated the enemy. They tore down all the altars and they took possession of their promised inheritance. They even helped each other do it. But the other tribes, they're like, yeah, that's a lot of work. <laughs> you know, all that fighting and, you know, these people don't want to leave and we'll have to force them out or kill them. And, you know, it'd be a lot easier if we just took dominion over them and made them pay us money. We could live with them. We could live with a little bit of darkness in our life, right? No. <laughs> no. We don't invite Satan over for dinner. <laughs> okay. And that's basically what they did. God said, there'll be a snare to you. Drive them out. They didn't listen. They thought it, they would just do it the easy way. That's where the cycle began. When they started worshiping these demonic entities, the terms of the covenant were still in force. They weren't under the covenant blessing, they were under the covenant curse. And so it would take forever for them to finally figure out it wasn't working for them. What would happen is that the people groups that they had taken dominion over would get big enough and strong enough to take dominion over them. That's the way Satan always works with sin in our life. He gives you a little carrot. Oh, here, see, this is tasty. See, this won't hurt you. It's just a little piece of cheesecake. <laughs> nothing to worry about. Come on. And then it starts that hunger. He just needs to get the hook in you. Just a little bit of pornography. Just a little bit of drugs. Just some stuff to play with. Nothing serious. Just to get the hook in you. Because once that darkness gets a hook in you, you don't know who you are, then that thing will start to deteriorate, bring deterioration into your life. Satan always comes to kill, still and destroy. He only brings death and destruction. Nothing he's got in that realm of darkness is anything that we want. Like Jesse DePlanza says, what in the hell do you want? There's nothing in hell that's good. And that's all the devil has to offer people is more hell. That's what the Israelites ended up in, literally hell on earth. We're going to look in chapter 6, and we're going to find the story of Gideon. It begins with the Israelites in the territory of Manasseh. They had been overtaken and harassed by their neighboring enemies, the Midianites and the Amalekites. And harass is really a light word, because their enemies tortured them. They would work hard for their food and for their flocks, taking care of everything. Back in the day, people actually had to work just to live. <laughs> okay? So they're working, raising their families, raising their flocks. And here comes the harvest time, and here comes their enemy. Their enemies had camels. That would be like me showing up in a tank. <laughs> because the Israelites didn't have camels. So this army was unovercomable in their own strength. It wasn't possible. So every year, for seven years, this happened every year. The enemies come and stealing everything from them. Around about seventh year, they're like, you know, maybe these false gods are not helping. <laughs> because that's what false gods were for. To try to get the false god to do battle for you. To get the false god to supply for you. Obviously, they took a long time to figure out that what these enemy gods, these false gods had to offer, wasn't working. And they started to cry out to the one true and living God, Yahweh. What I find remarkable is that every time they cry out, every time, every time they cry out, God answers. 
You know, if we were God, we would go, you did that? Uh, well, why should I clean that up? <laughs> but every time he says, if you cry out to me, I will answer. He will in no wise ever cast you out. If you cry out, he answers. In Judges 6, verses 6 through 10, it says this. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried unto Yahweh. L-O-R-D in all caps is the name Yahweh. He wanted them to know his name. <laughs> and when he wrote the scripture, they put his name in there, not a title. God wants you to know him by his personal name. We call him Jesus. <laughs> we call him Father. But God wants you to have a personal relationship and not make God far away. He wants you to know him up close and personal. Verse 7, And it came to pass that when the children of Israel cried unto Yahweh because of the Midianites, that Yahweh sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith Yahweh God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt, and I brought you forth out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of all that oppressed you. And I drave them out before you, and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am Yahweh your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites, in whose land ye dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. And that was it. I was like, that's where he stopped? <laughs> he didn't have anything more to say than that? <laughs> that's all God needed them to see. I'm a great deliverer. You know the stories. Your parents saw how I delivered them from every bondage, from every evil, how I met every need. I am a great deliverer. I still am a great deliverer. However, you have to be on the right side of the covenant. That's the only problem here, guys. <laughs> you're still my people, but you're still acting outside the covenant blessing terms. Get back in, and I can be a great deliverer again. He tells them, fear not the gods. In the Old Testament, over and over and over, we see God saying, do not fear. Do not fear, because fear had to do with worship. Whatever you fear, you have higher regard for. We should not fear sin. I had a friend tell me, oh, I, I, I fear sin. No, sin has been defeated. If I am fearing sin, I am giving it power in my life. I am reverencing its power. They didn't understand love, that God was always a God of love. But they were fear-based. Human beings are fear-based until they come to Jesus. <laughs> when Jesus moves in, we become love-based. We were always designed to be love-based. But they were fear-based. So he said, don't fear the other gods. Don't fear these demonic entities. Fear me. Regard me higher. Regard me as more powerful. Regard me above everything else. And he says, you have to listen. <laughs> That's what obey means. You've got to listen. You know the terms of the covenant. You can't disobey and be on the blessing side. <laughs> you have to listen. God here reminds Israel through this prophet that he is a great and mighty deliverer and that he alone brought them out of all bondage and all oppression and delivered them completely. They only have to do one thing. One thing. They only have to listen and do what he says to them. What I love about that, he doesn't say, but ye have not obeyed my laws. Isn't that interesting? 
He didn't say, the problem here is that you have not obeyed my laws. He says, you have not obeyed my voice. See, God has always been a speaking God. Yes, the law speaks. Yes, the word speaks. But it is interesting that he is saying, no, no, this is about a personal relationship, guys. I need you to hear me. I need you to hear me. God is faithful. He was faithful to show himself when they were obedient to his voice. But he is faithful when they disobeyed his voice. And that's just it. It isn't that God wanted them to live under the curses. God was not a punishing God. And I think that's where we get the idea, well, he was punishing them. No, we can live under the blessing or we can live under the curse. The only way to escape the curse is to live under the blessing. You see, the whole world is under the curse. Only in Christ do we come under the blessing. The blessing, the picture is still there. You can live in the darkness and in the curse if you want. But why would you want? When you have the opportunity to come to Christ and live in a whole different kingdom, the kingdom of blessing. But either way, he was still faithful. He never left them. He never left them. And I think that's really what he was trying to tell them. Look, I am so good. I am so big. I am so powerful. What you need right now is me in your life. Me on your side. (laughs) You need me to come and deliver you. And all you got to do is listen. Because I'm faithful. In Judges chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says this. An angel of Yahweh came up from Gigal to Bochim and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. You see, he's saying, look, (laughs) it doesn't matter how bad you've been. I will never break my covenant with you. I'm not walking away. I may have to lift the hand of blessing and let you enjoy whatever it is you think is over there, but I will never break my covenant with you. I am faithful no matter if you are or not. And then he says, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? What I love about this is the adamant tone that says, look, people, I will never break my covenant. You can have whatever part of the covenant you want. (laughs) I'm not going anywhere. You can't get rid of me. I can bless you, or I can lift my hand and you can live in the curse. But I'm not going anywhere. (laughs) I'm still here. This term, the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh, the word angel just means messenger. This term, the angel of the Lord, shows up 19 times in the book of Judges. 19 times. In the whole Old Testament, I think it's about 68. So it's a lot in the book of Judges. But why is that? Because there's no one single leader. He has to deal with them on an individual basis, on a tribe-by-tribe basis. So they have to hear his voice. So he would show up, and most of the time when you see this, the angel of the Lord, it's Jesus. His name wasn't Jesus at the time. He is the second person of the Godhead showing up in physical form. So the Son of God takes on a physical form. He isn't actually human. He's just making himself visible and relatable. And he shows up. He came to the people in chapter 2 and said, I will never break my covenant. Never. Now, we're going to see here in chapter 6 that he accepts worship. And that's how we know this is not a created angel. Created beings do not receive worship. And that's how you can always tell if it is a created being or if it's the pre-incarnate Christ. 
whether or not they accept worship. In chapter 6, in verse 11, it says this, And there came an angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh, and sat under an oak which was in Orpha, that pertained unto Joash the Abizrite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said, The Lord, Yahweh, is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. First off, he doesn't look like a mighty man of valor. Okay, he's hiding. <laughs> okay, the Midianites were cruel. So whatever little grain he did have, he needed to thresh. And normally you do that on a high place so that you can break the outside of the grain and throw it up and the chaff would blow away. You don't thresh wheat in a wine press. <laughs> That's where you stomp the grapes. <laughs> it's in a low place. He's hiding from his enemies. Okay? And Yahweh, Yahweh Jr., if you will, <laughs> shows up and he calls him a mighty man of valor. And valor means to have courage in the face of danger. God doesn't lie. Why did God call him a mighty man of valor if he's hiding in a wine press? It's because the Lord is with thee. You see, we may look like <laughs> wimpy little scaredy cats <laughs> on the outside. But when we get the revelation that Yahweh, the God of the universe, is in me and with me and for me and he's good and he's kind and he's my father and he's my savior. When we get that revelation, it changes how we see ourselves in the light of how we see him. So God says to him, I'm with you. And I say, you're a mighty man of valor. God knows something Gideon doesn't know. God knows that if Yahweh is with you, you don't need to be afraid. You can be fearless in the face of danger. Verse 13 says this, And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, notice that is not in all caps. <laughs> He's not saying, O Yahweh, <laughs> God of heaven and earth. He's saying, excuse me, sir. <laughs> if Yahweh be with us, then why has this befallen us? And where be all of his miracles, which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not Yahweh bring us up out of Egypt? But now Yahweh has forsaken us. He has delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. You notice there's no mention here about covenant. Just a lot of blame. <laughs> God's not taking care of us. He's utterly cast us off. Bad God, bad God, bad God. But covenant includes responsibilities on both parts. False accusations and ideas against God's faithfulness and powerfulness is all that Gideon had to offer. You notice he wasn't looking for a way to obey the voice. He just wanted to complain that he didn't like the rules. <laughs> Gideon doesn't see that the God named Yahweh for who he really is. Nor does he see that the Israelites themselves had anything to do with their predicament. All he could see in his mind is God has forsaken us. It's God's fault for where we are. Verses 14 through 16 says this, And Yahweh looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said to him, Small Lord, 
Oh, dear sir, <laughs> oh, kind mister, <laughs> wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. Excuses. He doesn't see himself how God sees him. He's trying to tell God why he's not qualified to be the deliverer of Israel. And Yahweh says to him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. I really love this. I underlined it for you. Surely I will be with thee. One of the commentators I read said that one of the earliest versions of the Old Testament in Aramaic translates this particular sentence as, The word of Yahweh is thy help. The word of Yahweh is thy help. Now we know that Jesus is the word. <laughs> so we can look back and go, aha, and I see you. There you are again. <laughs> the word of Yahweh is thy help. Surely I will be with thee. What I saw in this was that one, his presence and his word made all the difference. His presence and his word made all the difference. Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. In other words, you're going to do something that's impossible because I am with you. And you're going to hear my voice. You're going to have my presence and you're going to hear my voice. And if you have my presence and my voice, there's nothing you can't overcome. You can look in the face of impossible and say, ah, I have the presence and I have the word. And I can be fearless in whatever I face. Throughout the story of Gideon, we see that God confirms either his word or his presence to Gideon four separate times. The first one here is in chapter 6 here. He wants the pre-incarnate Christ to verify he is who he says he is. You see, he's still calling him sir. <laughs> now, I imagine Jesus showed up with some pretty nice duds on. <laughs> so he knew he was a man of means. And so this term Lord would have been how you would address somebody who had money, somebody who had uh, means available to them. So the fact that he's not going, hey, what are you doing here? <laughs> this, is, this is mine, you can't have it. <laughs> he's aware that this entity, this presence, has a superiority about it. So it goes on. And he said to him, now if I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak to me. Show me a sign that it is you who speak to me. He's not asking for directions. This is where Christians get into trouble with the whole fleece thing. They're looking for direction. God, if this is the direction I should take, show me a sign. No. <laughs> okay, that's casting lots. No, we don't do that. But God confirms his word. God will confirm his presence. Okay, in other words, don't ask God to give you a sign to show you which way to go. He'll give you a word. See, he's already told them, I have directions. You're going to deliver Israel. And he's like, I don't really believe you. <laughs> Can you show me that you are who you say you are? God never minds us double-checking to see if what we're hearing is really from him. Okay? And that's what's going on here. I need to know, is this really you? Because this is impossible. Is this really you? Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat 
and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket, and the broth he put in a pot, and he brought them to him under the terabith and presented them. And the angel of God said unto him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock, and pour broth over them. And he did. And then the angel of Yahweh reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand, and he touched the meat and the unleavened cakes, and fire sprang up from the rock, and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And then the angel of Yahweh vanished from his sight. He received his offering. He received his worship. Now just think about Gideon. You have just been mouthing off to God. <laughs> you're bad. You're unfaithful. You're not good. I'm not sure it's really you. Oh my gosh, it is you. <laughs> and of course it dawns on him. <laughs> Verse 22. And Gideon perceived that he was the angel of Yahweh. And Gideon said, Alas, Lord God, for I have seen the angel of Yahweh face to face. He's thinking, I'm going to die now. <laughs> because that Sunday school class, he remembers it now. Exodus 33, 19 and 20. This is where God and Moses are having a conversation. And Moses says, show me your glory, God. Show me your goodness. Show me, I want to see you. And he says, okay. <laughs> he says, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of Yahweh before thee. And will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And will shew mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face. For no man can see me and live. I'm pretty sure that came to mind. <laughs> He's thinking, not only have I been mouthing off, <laughs> now I really do deserve to die. <laughs> I can't see God and live. So Gideon freaks out. Instead of being fearless, he's now become even more fearful, just like the Israelites. He totally ignores what Yahweh just said to him. Yahweh accepted his offering. Yahweh said, I am with you. Yahweh said, I'm going to use you to defeat the enemy. He just totally ignored all of that. <laughs> oh my God, I'm going to die. No, no. <laughs> I like this. He vanishes. Okay, so God shows up in human form, says, I'm real. Touch me, you know, I'm real. But then he vanishes after he receives the offering. Now all he can do is hear. And what did he tell them they needed to do? Hear his voice. And I like this because it drops the angel part. This is just the presence of God. This is just Holy Spirit showing up. <laughs> the Spirit of the Father says, And the Lord, the Yahweh, said unto him, Peace be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. In that moment, Gideon was released from his fears by hearing the word of Yahweh. In a twinkling of an eye, Gideon had a revelation, an unveiling of who Yahweh really was. Yahweh himself was peace. He said to him, peace be unto you. I am with you. Peace is yours. Fear not. You shall not die. He says that's what he was really afraid of. <laughs> he was really afraid of dying. Peace be unto you. Fear not. You shall not die. Yahweh himself, God himself is peace, and he brings peace, and he speaks peace. 
in verse 24 it says, And Gideon built an altar there unto Yahweh, and he called it Yahweh Shalom. Unto this day it is yet in Orpha of the Abizarites. Gideon's faith sprang to life when his eyes were opened to the true nature of Yahweh. Surely, surely he should have been backhanded. <laughs> surely he should have been put in time out. <laughs> but no, our God, his heart for them. He told Moses, I want you to see my goodness. That's who I am. If you understand that I'm good, it changes everything. When he saw the truth of who it was that was speaking to him, that it was God himself, when we understand who is speaking to us, it changes the weight of what we hear. Sometimes we're like, God, is that you? And it's not until we know that it has weight. It has glory. The word or promise of peace is only as powerful in the light of the faithfulness and goodness and the powerfulness of the one who speaks it. I've worked with a lot of people with inner healing. I can pray with somebody and I can say, this is the lie you're believing and this is the truth you need to receive. And you know what? It doesn't heal them. But when they see Jesus, when they hear Jesus, he can say the exact same thing, but he has weight. He has power. He has glory that releases them from whatever it is they're in. If we hear the voice of God and we know we've heard the voice of God, we become fearless. Peace comes. Always. Once Gideon knew the truth that it was God speaking, then what God said brought peace to his heart. His fear subsided. Years ago, the Lord told me he was calling me to go live in Beloit. Now this is before I was married to Mr. Testerman back there. <laughs> and in order to do that, I was going to buy a mobile home, but it wasn't going to be ready in time for the school year to begin. So it's like, okay, I still have one child at home. What do I do? Do I put him in one school and then yank him out and put him in another one six weeks later? What do I do? What's the best option? Well, I could leave him with family, trustworthy, wonderful Christian family. He would be safe there, but I would be over here. That doesn't make me happy. What's the best thing for him, though, Lord? It doesn't matter if I'm happy. I want the best for him. And I couldn't get an answer. So I decided to go on a fast. Fasting is like a Q-tip for your spiritual pipes. <laughs> your spiritual ears need a little cleaning out a little fasting will take care of that <laughs> fasting doesn't change God fasting just opens our ears a little bit so we hear better so I went on a fast for three days at the end of that three days somebody came up to me at work and sat down and began to tell me their story about how God had given them a sign about how they knew they were supposed to buy this particular house he said we walked in we just suddenly had peace it wasn't logical. They just suddenly knew. Peace came over them. And the Lord said to me, where's your peace? I could choose either one. It wasn't about being right or wrong. It wasn't about what was right and good. Both of them were all good. All my options were good options. <laughs> and God said, where's your peace? Does you being without him here 
give you peace? Does him being over here with family give you peace? Where's your peace? Got to have my baby with me. <laughs> I can't leave my baby alone. He's got to come with me. He won't like it. He's going to fuss and cry about it. He maybe even throw a couple tantrums, but he's got to be with me. <laughs> and God said, that's right. Let peace be your umpire. Let peace lead you. You see, it wasn't about what was right or wrong. It was God will lead us with his peace. And see, I was seeking his face. I was seeking his voice. I was seeking his will. I wasn't trying to get my own way. That's another place Christians get in trouble, trying to get God to give them their way. <laughs> no, no, no. I wanted God's will. I wanted God's best. He said, where is your peace? Gideon then made an altar, a memorial to God, because he had the revelation that God's presence and God's word brought peace. That the God Yahweh that he knew and heard about, who was a great deliverer, was also a God who brought peace, whom caused his fears to subside. When we know we hear, when we know we've, we've saw his face, we've got our word and his presence, peace comes. And that's what Gideon needed. Gideon needed to know he had the presence and he heard the voice. Now the word shalom means safe, first and foremost. Most of you have probably heard peace means nothing missing, nothing broken. It's true. That's not the lexicanal definition, but it, that's a general idea of, of what peace is, what shalom is. It is to be well and happy and friendly and have welfare and have, not like the state kind, <laughs> to have health and prosperity and peace and rest and wholeness. The root definition of peace is safe. Hebrew words never lose their root meaning. They'll expand and get bigger. See, out of safe came happy. Out of safe came friendly. Out of safe came health. Out of safe came prosperity. Out of safe comes peace. Out of safe is rest. Out of safe is wholeness. See, if I know I'm safe, I have peace. If I know I'm safe, that my finances are going to be enough. I'm safe. If I know that my health is intact, then I feel safe. Everything comes out of the place of safety. Peace comes out of knowing that we are safe in his hand. We are safe in his will. We are safe because the Father has taken us and placed us in the Son and seated us at the right hand of the Father. We can't get any safer. <laughs> but I have to have that revelation for it to be active in my life. Grace is free, not automatic. Why are some Christians broke and sick and falling apart? Because they don't know who they are. They don't know who their father is. They don't know what belongs to them. They don't know they have a whole promised land they have access to. They don't know. They've been told God's mad. He gave you the sickness to teach you something. If you would just straighten up, God could be good to you. Lies, lies, and more lies. We have to know who our Father is, who Yahweh is, that He is good, and He wants us to be safe and know the safety of the relationship we have with Him. 
We can only apprehend by faith what we know already belongs to us by grace. We have to be convinced that he is so good, he has already given us everything we need for life and godliness. Then we can say, then I'm not going to have anything less than this. I'm not going to allow the enemy to come in and steal what belongs to me. The Midianites are not running over my house. (laughs) They can keep their camels on the other side. Not in my house. I'm safe. I'm not suffering loss. Hebrews 13, 6 says, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. It's a choice. I can choose to believe God, who is who he says he is, and that he does what he says he will do, and he has already accomplished everything that I need. I can choose to believe that. I can choose to press into that truth till it becomes so real in me that I feel safe. You see, your feelings will tell you what you really believe. If I am in fear, then I don't believe I'm safe. I have to press in. I have to hear him. His presence is always with me. I have to press into that presence. I have to hear his word. Because when I hear his word in his presence, fear leaves. Faith rises up when we hear his word. When he speaks to us, fear will just melt off. If we look at our circumstances like he was doing, look at all around me. This is impossible. This can't possibly work, God. Where's his peace? Because right out the window when you look at your circumstances, you have to keep your eyes on the one who is peace, the one who makes you safe. Judges 6.36. After he makes this altar, God tells him, okay, this is our covenant, right? you got to be within the terms of the covenant. Right now, altars of Baal. Gideon's father had an altar of Baal and a totem pole, an Asher Hoth to another faith God. (laughs) And he says, those have got to come down and you've got to build an altar to Yahweh. You see, he said, you've got to decide today who's your God. So he did it afraid. You see, he knew he had heard God. He knew God said, this is, you know the terms of the covenant. You've got to get back underneath the terms of the covenant, build an altar to Yahweh, destroy those other altars. He had to go to his dad's house (laughs) take down dad's altars (laughs) and destroy them (laughs) and put up an altar to the one true and living God. And he was afraid, he was pretty sure that if he did that, he'd get killed. So he did it at night. But he did it. You see, he had faith. He received the word. He had just enough confidence in God to go, okay, I'm going to do it but I'll do it when no one's looking. (laughs) Still faith. (laughs) It was still obedience. (laughs) He still did it. He did it afraid, but he still did it. God knows he's got to renew his mind to the truth of of the revelation he got, that God is the safe place. God will keep him safe. God will keep him in perfect peace. So he does that. Then in uh, chapter 36, says, Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry all around, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And so it was. So he says, I got a test for you, God. Now, you know why God's not mad about this? He's not asking for direction. What is he asking for? Verification. I think this is you, (laughs) but I could get killed out there. (laughs) I really need to be sure. 
I'm pretty sure, you know that guy in the New Testament, I believe, help my thou, my unbelief. Okay, that's Gideon. I believe, but this is a really hard, dangerous thing you're asking me to do. A little more help would be appreciated. How about if I put this fleece out and it will be wet and the ground will be dry? Because that's impossible. That's impossible. So only you would do that, and then I will know, okay, I will know your presence. You'll confirm your word to me. You'll be okay. So he does it. God does it. And he goes, it's not quite enough. <laughs> Please, <laughs> let not your anger burn against me. Let me ask just once more. Please, let me test just once more. <laughs> let the fleece be dry and let the ground be wet. Because, you know, the fleece could have been wet and the ground could have dried before you know, the fleece just took longer because that may not have been as impossible as he first thought. <laughs> but if he does it the other way, that's truly impossible. That's got to be God. Again, asking for confirmation. So God does it. God shows himself strong. With every test, God showed that he was for Gideon and that Gideon had heard him correctly. Time and time again in my life, I've been in the presence of God and I think he has said something to me. And you're like, I don't see how that could ever come to pass. My logic says, okay, but how? See, that how can get you into all kinds of unbelief. <laughs> but how? <laughs> and it's not about how, it's about who. It's about who. That's why he said, my presence will be with you. The word of the Lord will be your help. So Gideon has enough confidence now. He's given God the two tests. And God says, well, turn about his fair play. <laughs> I've confirmed your faith. Let's put your faith to the test. He says, call the messengers to all the four tribes that you need for an army. Send out messengers so they all come. There's 32,000 of them. Yay! And there's only 135,000 of them. Let's start out knowing this is still impossible. This is still impossible for them to win. The enemy has camels. They might have some donkeys. <laughs> it's not going to work. This is still impossible. But you know what? God knows that we will take credit for stuff that we had nothing to do with. <laughs> and so he says, what I want you to do is I want you to go down to all the guys who, who are there and tell them, if they're afraid, that they can go home. So he's probably thinking, who is going to publicly stand up and say, I'm afraid, I'm out of here. They've just all volunteered to come and help fight. So he's probably thinking, this isn't such a big deal. So he goes and tells them, and 22,000 leave. 22,000, he has 10,000. Test number one, still believe me, Gideon? Still have God confidence, Gideon? Well, he already has his two tests. He's confirmed his word. He's confirmed his presence. He's confirmed it to me. I do believe. I do believe. He goes, okay, good. Test number two. <laughs> take the 10,000 you have and go down to the watering hole and tell them all to take a drink. And there I will show you which ones can stay and which ones can leave. So they all go down for a nice drink of water. Some of them lay down prostrate and drink like a dog, and some of them kneel and cup the water with their hand. Interesting thing. 
Obedient Jews never kneel because Baal worshippers knelt. <laughs> What's the God of that country? <laughs> it's been Baal worshippers. You see, God showed Gideon who was faithful and who believed and who he did not truly believe. You see, their habit revealed their habit. Those who were obedient to Yahweh, who truly had faith, were the ones who would lay prostrate. That's how they worshipped. To this day, Jews do not kneel on stone bare ground because Baal worshippers do. To this day. So they revealed who they really worshipped when they went down to get a drink of water. So God says, everyone who kneels, you can go home. Because <laughs> you don't have faith. You don't have confidence in the one true and living God. He has 300 men. God gives them a strategy. They're going to overtake an army of 135,000 men. This is impossible. But God says to him over and over again, peace be unto you. Fear not. You shall not die. That's his fear. Peace be unto you. Fear not. You shall not die. But I love how faithful our father is. He knew <laughs> that the circumstances were screaming and yelling, this is impossible, this is impossible, this is impossible. By God. God gives him one more confirmation. He says, it's done deal. You have the victory. It's in your hand. Tomorrow, what I say today will come to pass. It is yours. But you have to go and get it. You have to go and do it. He says, but if you're afraid, go down to the camp. Sneak down there. There we are. Get. He's afraid. <laughs> Doing it afraid. <laughs> he sneaks down to the camp, and he overhears two guys. One had a dream, and the other one interpreted it. And the interpretation was that his dream was about God has given all of the camp into the hand of Gideon. God confirmed one more time. Why? You have to know that you know that you know that you've heard his word. You know what he said to you. You know that you're in peace. Once you know you've heard God, peace comes. If we're in fear, we have not heard. If we're afraid, we can go to God and go, I'm the, I believe, help down my unbelief. <laughs> I believe, still having a little problem with this, what I can see. God's not angry about us confirming his word. He doesn't want us asking God to jump through hoops to prove who he is. He has proved his goodness on the cross of Jesus Christ. He doesn't have to prove anything to anyone, but he wants us to know that we can face impossible situations with his presence and his word. When we hear his word, his peace comes. Judges 7.15 says this, As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. He responded in faith. That is how good our Father is. If we will seek him, if we're afraid, if we don't have peace, he says, I'll give you my word. I'll confirm my word over and over and over again. But what you need to see the victory come to pass is you have to have my presence and hear my voice. You've got to hear what I'm saying to you. 
Yahweh in the Old Testament, Yahweh Shalom, is the same Yahweh today. You have like Yahweh Senior and Yahweh Junior, <laughs> the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In John 6, 63, it says this, It is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. They are spirit and they are life. You see, we see in the story of getting so much of what happens in our life. We come up against circumstances and situations that are impossible in our own strength. But Jesus tells us, my present, the spirit and my word is what you need for life to show up. Life and life more abundantly. Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7 says this, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Don't let anything steal your peace. We have his presence and we have his word, and we too are called to walk as mighty men of valor because we can say surely the presence of God is with me surely my father is with me surely I am in a safe place it is the revelation sometimes we don't have the revelation yet he says just come and seek me let me open your eyes that I am your safe place I am your wholeness I am your healing I am your peace I am your provision that's who I am we can't have peace apart from his presence and his word. That's a very short version <laughs> of a very big story. Let me pray for you. Father God, I thank you for your presence and your word. I thank you for the stories. They're not just stories, they're history, where you proved yourself as faithful and good. That when you call us to do impossible things, you don't leave us without provision. The provision is your voice. We can walk out and do what you've called us to do because we've heard your voice. And your voice, your word gives us peace. When we know that we know that we've heard you, we can do what we need to do because we have God confidence. We're sure of who you are. We're sure of your faithfulness. And we're sure of your goodness. And you are our peace. Father God, I pray that the peace of God guard our hearts and minds. I love that scripture because it's right there. It says, all you got to do is come. Come and spend time with me. Be in my presence. Hear me speak. Be in my word. And the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds so that we can walk as mighty men of valor, courageous in the face of danger because we know whose we are and who you really are. We thank you for your word. We receive it today. We implant it by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.